Hey everybody, <laughs> welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from the Apple. Uh, deflating weekend. I have gripes and uh, let's jump right in, shall we? So on Friday, the Mets' seven-game winning streak came to an end in Tampa. They lost 3-2 to two, uh, in walk-off fashion. David Peterson was terrific. Went seven and a third, nine strikeouts, two runs allowed. Just awesome. Uh, really a terrific sign considering the mess he found himself in versus Arizona uh, last week. Uh, walking three with three earned runs over an inning and two-thirds. Uh, and Peter, he was heading towards a, an eerily similar fate early in the game on Friday. Uh, loaded the bases with one out in the second, settled down and struck out the next two batters he faced on a couple of gorgeous sliders. And from there, he cruised, uh, set down 17 straight, heading into the eighth. It was a bridge he'd yet to cross in the majors. He was at, at just 83 pitches. Uh, tremendous outing, no question about it. Tyler Glass now for Tampa Bay, right-hander. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, one of the best pitchers in baseball, someone who will, uh, at least in my opinion, win a, a Cy Young Award in the very near future. He was lights out, kept the Rays alive, worked around a Jeff McNeil one-out double in the eighth to keep things uh, within reach, and just brought you know such high-quality stuff. It was really, really fun to watch. Uh, of course, that was when the Mets were leading. Uh, things changed shortly thereafter. And let me preface this with the fact that there's no right answer to how things played out. Uh, this is regarding the, I guess, relief pitcher usage on Friday. Uh, if this is just how I, and again, I'm not an MLB manager by any means. It's just how I would have approached the situation. Uh, so Louis Rojas, uh, up 2 nothing, headed into the eighth. He had a fresh bullpen at his disposal coming off an off day on Thursday, another off day on Monday, uh, a couple of days before that. Uh, he decided to ride with David Peterson. And again, that's totally fine. Peterson certainly earned it. He was cruising, having retired 17 straight. He was, you know, had gas left in the tank at just 83 pitches. It was the bottom third of the Rays lineup. Let him do his thing. I get it. I just, I wouldn't have done it the same way. Uh, and of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's easy to say this now, but with the Rays seven through nine hitters coming up, I'm putting the hammer down. I'm going to Trevor May. I'm starting the frame with him and uh, end, end anything before it begins. Peterson was terrific and, again, earned the shot for sure. But a two-run lead, is it's no cinch. And I think the situation called for a different approach. Uh, Mike Zanino tanked, <laughs> absolutely tanked, 117-mile-per-hour solo home run uh, to start the inning. Kevin Padlow smoked his first MLB hit into the right center field gap for a double in the next at-bat. And, uh, and at that point, Peterson was shown the door, and naturally the energy changed very quickly. And, you know, I personally think the whole situation was avoidable. Uh, Trevor May entered the game in, in an in, inopportune spot, plain and simple. That's his job, yes, of course. But you want to put your players, and the team for that matter, in the best position to succeed. Without men on base and facing the bottom third of the order, the leverage of May's appearance is just you know, drastically lower than what he ended up facing. Um, the risk of sending out an 80-something pitch Peterson after facing the Rays lineup a few times through, you know, again, in hindsight, which is very clear, it might not have been worth it. Um, I usually don't harp on managerial decisions. I'm not really harping here necessarily either. I'm just kind of taking a bigger, uh, bigger picture sort of approach, I guess. 
Um, the Mets put two runners, two runners on in the ninth. You know, and again, the game wasn't over yet, but I guess essentially it might have been. Uh, the Mets put two on in the ninth. James McCann grounded out to end the inning. I said it on the Apple that night. That's becoming a sentence that we're typing way too often. Uh, you know, he's got plenty of time to work his shit out. Uh, clearly, he's struggling at the plate, and again, he's he's here for the next four years. So. Uh, Let's be patient, but you know maybe uh, Tomas Nito, who's been he, you know he's been raking in sporadic appearances this season, at least recently. Uh, he can he, he always receives a, a terrific game behind the plate. You know maybe he should be seeing more time until uh, McCann's back on track. But you know every winning streak ends. You can't win them all. I, I thought Friday's particular loss was probably avoidable, but whatever. It, it is what it is. Um, Mets came back Saturday for another afternoon game. Another, I say that on Sunday. Mets came back Saturday for a 1 p.m. start. There we go. Uh, a bullpen day, as they call it. And, you know, let's hope this thing is a, a thing of the past soon for the Mets because, um, yeah, it did not work out well on Saturday. Uh, Drew Smith looked good again. He went two innings to start the game, a little unexpected. Uh, Lucchese was up in the uh, in the first, I guess, warming up cameras caught him but uh I guess Rojas was comfortable enough that he said oh take a seat we're gonna go with Smith and he looked good he let one run cross in the first on Nito's uh short throw to second on Joey Wendell's steal attempt um you know out of his hands had a little traffic on the base pass can't do anything about that that'll happen not everybody's shake of the grom but uh boy that slider is just delicious huh that thing cuts uh real just a major league weapon um I think he believe he added a cutter and I, I think that's uh, added to his repertoire. And again, you know, keeping guys on their heels is the biggest thing. And uh, Smith's been able to do that so far. It's only been a couple of appearances. But, you know, if he continues to contribute at a high level and earning more and more of the organization's trust in the process, you know, he could really end up playing a pivotal part in the, uh, in the bullpen down the line. Um, so on Saturday, the Mets had a 4-1 lead entering the fourth. Uh, courtesy of another contribution via the, the fucking New York Mets bench mob, baby. Um, Jose Peraza's first homer is a Met three-run shot to get things back on track, or seemingly. And then Pete Alonso's first home run since April 25th. Uh, you know, I guess got everybody's, you know, sentiments worked up even further. But, uh, you know, Joey Lucchese came in. Uh, we talked about it in Saturday's recap at the Apple. Um he struggled, and uh, we talked about it on the, the Twitter feed on, on Sunday morning, too. Like, you know, the lead evaporated fast. Um, yeah, I, let me go ahead and jump into it. So, you know, he entered in the third, put up a clean frame, um, gave up the lead in the fourth, and, you know, it leads us to a, a novel wrinkle of Lucchese's game. Um, you know, Lucchese had a tough time. He's had a tough time, I should say, settling into his role in New York. Kind of had the same issues in San Diego. Uh, consistency's been an issue. Um, you know, being able to go out and be the same guy every time you go out is kind of a fundamental part to success. And, and you know, his his high points have been great, but the consistency has eluded him. Uh, his last outing was fine. He 3.1 scoreless versus Arizona last, Sunday, uh, last Saturday, I should say. Um, you know, and he's, a handful of appearances have been fine, but... You know, if you're looking at it from the Mets' point of view, where, you know, in Lucchese's case, um, the determination of how he's used and what he's most, I guess, where his value lies, that, that lies in the hands of the organization. But 
their objective should really be to put their players in the position to get the job done and, you know, put the team in a better spot to win games. For Lucchese, um, he may very well be better suited for a, a short relief role as opposed to the long man duties he's been taking on. And, and you know, really the Mets could be better off for it as a group because, as I said, he does have potential to contribute. You know, once the Mets rotation is whole again, or at least until Carrasco returns, which hopefully, you know, at this pace, Syndergaard might return before uh, Cookie does, but we shall see. But, you know, that's going to effectively end the opener bullpen days unless they're absolutely needed. You know, Lucchese at that point can either be optioned to the minors, he has options left, or he can be utilized in a, in a different fashion. Um, he's been effective at times, but throwing him out there to face an entire lineup, it might not be the move, as we've seen. Um, and, you know, in the, did they really trade for him to, for him to be a starting pitcher? No, they have a lot of starting pitchers. Um, you know, they he's traditionally been an extremely effective pitcher his first time through the lineup. And that's, you know, anybody who looks at his stats can see that. Over his career, he's got a 701 OPS the first time through, uh, 717 OPS the second time through. Third time, that jumps to 943. He's not a starting pitcher. Uh, there, it, anyone with illusions that the Mets brought him in to, to, to make him a, a number five starter, that's just crazy. He's proven that, you know, maybe he has the potential to be a long man as they tried, but that's not really working out either. He takes some time to, to kind of ease into that role. Um, he's only been hit hard once in his first inning this season, uh, April 17th at Colorado. I think he let up three earned runs. Let up uh, one more against St. Louis on May 3rd, but... um. Otherwise, he's, you know, if you, again, taken out Saturday, which he got hammered, but that was in his second inning of work. Um, you know, guys are clearly picking up on his tricks a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, maybe he's the opener himself, or maybe just a, a two-lefty, one-inning guy. And, and that's okay, too, because the bullpen can always use depth. Of course, with the options, it makes the situation a little bit easier to navigate, but you know, per his numbers, that could all work fine. Uh, not this season. He, he's only faced 14 left-handed hitters this year. He's been hit pretty hard. I think guys are hitting 333 against him. Uh, but he's got a 662 OPS against in his career versus lefties, which is, you know, that's going to play. That's more than capable. The Mets picked him up with a plan of likely, you know, finding his kind of the niche category he falls into. And uh, I wouldn't be shocked that this is all just kind of part of that process. You know, it's not like they went out and spent big money on him. They gave up a decent prospect, but, you know, uh, clearly they saw something. I, I would let the situation develop. Again, he's always got options. They can always just kind of wait it out. Um, at the end of the day, you know, baseball is ultimately a game of adjustments. There's only so far that all the arms and legs of his funky motion are going to take him before professional hitters catch on to it. Um, tipping his pitches has always been an issue. Um, you know, all that movement's going to result in something like that happening. But that's why, like the spin, the excuse me, the uh, spin deception that he uses, it's kind, it's really so important. You know, his sinker and his churve, the two pitches he throws the most, uh, or at least ex almost exclusively, uh, they mirror each other's spin perfectly. So when a hitter sees it, you know what they're looking at is. Uh, the sinker spinning one way, but the curve is spinning the other way, but it's on that same axis. So again, it, in the milliseconds that it takes to pick it up and look at it, it's very tough to decipher. Um, 
but really, that's what it's all about. Hitters have just a few seconds to decide, and not even, a milliseconds to decide, and the spin says what the pitch is going to do, and if it's doing the same thing as the last pitch did, they swing, and whoops, oh, I fucked up, and you know, if a pitcher's on, on his game, which uh, we saw it on Saturday, uh, we'll get to that in a second, and I got it right here, but um, you know, with Lucchese's two pitches at play, that'll work for a while, but this is a game of adjustments. Uh, batters are going to adjust to the pitcher as well. And, you know, on either side, either you keep it moving or you're dead in the water. That's just what it comes down to. Um, Lucchese adding another pitch to his regular repertoire, it wouldn't be a terrible idea. And he actually used his cutter a little more on Saturday. Um, I think 19% was his, uh, his pitch count on the cutter. And, you know, there's potential behind that pitch. I said it on Twitter. Um, I was just talking about it a little bit earlier. He nears the spin on the curve, and the sinker actually um, replicate. Uh, the cutter actually replicates the spin of his sinker, so it mirrors the curve, and it actually copies the sinker. So his sinker ends up on one end of. If you're looking from a catcher's perspective, his sinker is going to end up on the outside of the plate to right-handed batters, and his cutter is going to end up on the inside half to right-handed batters. Now, if those are spinning on the same axis, it's very confusing to a hitter. Now, if you're dropping the curve in there and that's spinning on a mirrored axis, again, you're going to leave guys befuddled. How he wasn't utilizing all three pitches before, um, that's a little beyond me, but not it's above my pay grade like in the, in the truest sense i'm just trying to, you know, work this shit out from from a a, a perspective a perspective you know what I'm saying. From the outside perspective. There you go. So, you know, he's working the curve and the sinker off each other. The cutter works off of everything. You know, that's a three-headed monster if it's used right. Um, you know, as we said, guys are going to pick up on all the bells and whistles eventually. Uh, you kind of have to keep adapting to survive. That's the nature of the game. And I think the potential is there for Lucchese. It's just kind of got to be unlocked at this point. I bet on Jeremy Hefner and, and the Mets pitching staff and, and analytics staff kind of finding a way to accomplish that goal. But, um, you know, back to Saturday. It, again, there's not really much to talk about. But, uh, you know, they came within a run in the eighth after being you know pretty much effectively shut down by Shane McClanahan. McClanahan looked great, by the way. This is what I was just trying to get at before. So this is a guy... You know, he comes in, he's making his fourth MLB appearance. He's a former first-round pick, so he's no schlub, but um, really appears to understand the element of deception very well. Uh, in the first inning, Francisco Lindor didn't even realize he'd looked at a, you know, a 4-2 seamer at the knees on a full count until the home plate umpire, umpire rung him up. You know, McClanahan's throwing uh, a 98 on his four-seamer, a high-velocity slider, and a changeup. They're all coming in on the same exact plane. Again, he's going to keep guys um, guessing, and that's kind of what, you know, that's the name of the game. <laughs> what I loved was McClanahan, he's throwing his four-seamer away to right-handed hitters, who, of course, you know, they see something on the outside of the plate, or it's coming in at least, you know, on the, on the outside half. It's not even outside. It's just on the outside half. There's meat on it. And this thing just darts away even further, right as it gets to the plate. I think he caught Lindor with it. And, you know, instead of making this, you see him, and then these guys are just, you know, they're loading up and they're taking these big hacks and the thing just darts off and it goes off the end of their bat and it's in the foul territory. And 
boy, a very impressive stuff with McClanahan. But I'm getting off topic here. I was just so impressed with what Tampa can do with their uh, with their pitchers. So, uh, after being set down in order from the, I think it was the fourth through the seventh, uh, Lindor finally woke everybody up. Solo home run. He made it six five. Brought you know, brought the energy back, and then everything fucking fell apart again. Um, Jacob Barnes entered in the eighth. To, to kind of keep the door open for the Mets. He loaded the bases with one out. Of course, he was gone. Brought in Jerry's Familia. Um, and things got out of hand. Diaz's, uh, Yandy Diaz, his high hopper, nicked off of Lindor's glove, scored two to make it eight to five. Uh, Wendell's little bouncer went past Lindor. The Mets had him shifted, and, and that's going to happen. You can't complain about that because most of the time it works out really, really well. At least it has this season. But uh, you know that was a costly one. But what can you do? That scored two more, makes it ten five, and then the the, uh, the double ear flap hero Brett Phillips knocked in two more to make it twelve five, and by then it's just a, a fucking laugher. But um, you know, for this bullpen game thing to work. You know, the importance of making the right calls as the game goes on, it's it's kind of instrumental in that process. You know, just like Trevor May could have taken the ball to start the eighth on Friday, um, Rojas could have easily just picked Familia to start the frame on Saturday and, uh, you know, likely could have changed – it could have turned out much differently. You know, it's a close game. Um, you got a chance to get back in the win column after having your winning streak snapped on Friday. And that's nothing against Barnes, but it wouldn't have been crazy to go with one of your big arms in that spot. Shut him down. Oh, oh I got to get this guy some work. Eh, you get the win. Got to prioritize. And again, I don't harp on managerial decisions. I really try not to, but there was a couple this weekend that, that really got me going. Um, we're going to take a break there. We'll hear from our sponsors. Come back. We're going to talk about uh, the latest episode of the Stro Show and uh, how the Mets closed out the weekend, which, uh, spoiler alert, was not great. Hang tight. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And welcome back. Uh, Entering Sunday, Marcus Stroman had a 1.99 ERA, which was ninth in baseball. Uh, 1.99 walks per nine, which was 17th in baseball. 0.68 home home runs per nine, which was, uh, excuse me, I know that came out bad. 0.66 home runs per nine, uh, 14th in baseball. Had a whip just near one, 1.03. Uh, 56.5 ground ball rate was fourth in baseball. You know, the Stroh show was at a peak, but uh, every series has a subpar episode now and then, right? And Sunday was Stroh's. Uh, he started off great. You know, he went scoreless into the fourth, and then it kind of all just fell apart. Uh, gave up a two-run homer to um, certified Met killer Manny Margot in the fourth. Uh, a two-run homer to Willie Adames in the fifth. Solo shot to Brendan Lau in the sixth. Uh, and the Rays added two more in the eighth, and that was pretty much that. Just a uh, not an ideal performance. Um, Patty Mazika, freaking hero, finally notched his first major league hit, solo home run in the sixth. But uh, and that was really met all the Mets could muster in the run column. I think they, yeah, two hits. That's it. 
Two hits was all they could pull together. And it's funny, we were just talking about McClanahan. You know, this wasn't one of those uh, instances of the Mets being shut down by some no-name schmuck. You know, maybe you haven't heard of Josh Fleming, and I'll be honest, neither had I. <laughs> but, you know, his low-velocity, high-command stuff, it most certainly played well on Sunday. Uh, he's making his 15th career start, uh, 2.55 ERA over those starts. I think he had 2.34 in seven starts heading into Sunday. You know, he helped the Mets at bay through through five innings, one hit, five strikeouts. But he got lifted for Diego Castillo entering the sixth after just 53 pitches. You would think that's an odd thing, right? Nope. <laughs> you know, usually, you know, if you're down and you're getting past a starter who's been dominating you, you know, that's a that's a big benchmark. It's a mile marker. Uh, means that it's time to make a move. You got past the starting pitcher. Nope, not with Tampa Bay. Uh, as the booth noted during the PIX broadcast, you know, this is the same team that pulled Blake Snell in the sixth inning of Game 6 in last year's World Series, despite him striking out nine with just two hits and 73 pitches on his ledger. You know, last October it was a misstep. On Sunday, it wasn't much of a hurdle. Uh, you know, again, the Mets scratched out just two base hits. And, you know, now the Mets leave for Florida, uh, at least for a few days. They go back <laughs> this weekend, this coming weekend, to face the Marlins. But, you know, they got nothing to show for it but uh, uh, a very full trainer's room, which, oh, yeah, of course, we haven't even touched on that yet. Again, uh, uh, just a terribly forgettable fucking weekend. My goodness. Uh, so the Mets are already decimated by injuries. Uh, two more core guys went down on Sunday. Michael Conforto, who pulled up lame, running to first in the first inning with a right hamstring issue. And Jeff McNeil, who noticeably winced doing the same thing in the second and uh, was removed with left hamstring tightness. Um, you know, when is <laughs> when it rains, it pours. You know, when does this shit end, man? Uh, the New York Mets bench mob, you know, they've been a godsend. They've picked up a lot of the slack and then some, you know, in the absence of main guys like Brandon Nimmo, J.D. Davis, Luis Guillorme. But with, you know, with guys dropping like flies, at what point will the reinforcements need reinforcements? Um, Louis Rojas said on Sunday that Nimmo will be back with the team this week, but he won't return until he's 100% pain-free. That was uh, a quote, 100% pain-free. So, you know. Certainly gives him some some wiggle room when, when we ask on Wednesday what's up with Nimmo. Uh, hopefully not the case, but, you know, Davis, he's supposed to be beginning a rehab stint in Syracuse. Uh, Luis Guillorme and Albert Almora are still shelved. You know, this roster, which was layered with the type of depth this organization's really been missing over the last few or dozen years, <laughs> um, you know, they've needed every single piece they've added this winter, and it's only the middle of May. Uh, you know, thank goodness for the depth-minded push this offseason or else <laughs> where do they go from here? Um, you know, but really, that's where you're at now. Where do they go from here? Uh, you know, when, when Conforto went down in the first, the initial thought was that McNeil could move back to the outfield where he's performed very capably in the past. And then a few minutes later, you know, that point was pretty much moot. Um, you know, the Mets have Jake Hager uh, and Khalil Lee at arm's reach. I think Hager's up with the team now and Khalil Lee was, uh, was optioned back to the minors to make room for Hager. But, you know, neither are going to make up for the lost production in Conforto's absence, especially if that's um, a long-term thing, which it didn't look great. He slammed his helmet down when he got into the dugout. Uh, even when he first got hurt, you could see the frustration in his face. You know, 
he's got personal goals as well as team goals this season, of course, heading into his free agent year. But um, just, you know, not ideal for, for any any way you slice that pie. Um, you know, and that's not necessarily a jab in the direction of Hager or Lee, that they're just not going to, you know, they're not going to be Conforto. No shit. <laughs> um, you know, Michael Conforto is a proven major league capable, you know, Star, maybe. Um, upper upper crust, yes, most definitely. He's proven as much. Um, and despite, like, I guess he was three for his last 16 before he coming out of the game. Uh, that's since the start of the Orioles series. You know, he's come a long way since his early April nightmare. Um, he's finally begun to look like Michael Conforto at the plate again. Uh, he's looked terrific in the field. And, you know, him being him is a huge ingredient to the Mets' success. As Michael Conforto goes, so do the New York Mets. Uh, that's what being a cornerstone piece is. That's really what he is to this team. Whether he's replaceable or not, you know, that's a conversation we'll have towards the end of the year. Um, but you know, in the, in the current construction, um, of this Mets roster, he's a very important piece. And, uh, hopefully, and same thing goes for McNeil. You'd have to hope that this isn't too substantial of a, of a setback for either of them. Uh, but you also have to hope that the Mets have some sort of contingency, contingency plan, excuse me, outside of the the patchwork quilt of an outfield and bench that they have right now. Um, you know, Malik Smith, Janeshri Vargas, Drew Ferguson, Quinn Brody, those are pretty much your closest internal options to uh, to viable outfield help that the Mets have uh, in the upper levels. Uh, pickings are desperately slim on the free agent waiver wire. Um, you know, I, I, I joked that, you, you know, bring your way in a Cespedes home on Twitter, but, <laughs> you know, looking down this list, uh, if he's healthy, I, I at least bring him in for a workout and see how he looks. I'm not joking, but am I, I don't know. Um, Jorge Bonifacio is playing in Mexico, I think, but you know, that's it. I think it's entirely conceivable. We see a new face or two in Queens this week and maybe who knows, maybe this front office goes out and. And looks for someone who can play the outfield and who might offer more of an upside than a, you know, a Jake Hager or a, or a, or a Malik Smith or a Khalil Lee or what have you. Um, you know, Dom Smith, Kevin Pillar, you know, yeah, uh, they're going to have to figure out something. But uh, in the likely scenario that the Mets simply attempt to ride this out with what they've already got in the stable, which, again, this is probably what's going to happen. You got to hope, unless this is a, a serious injury and it's going to be, um, you know, a couple of months without Conforto, then, you know, maybe you have to, you have to kind of think about um, making a move because, you know, you have a small lead in the East. You have a, a lot of potential among the roster outside of the guys who are out right now. You have guys coming back soon. Um, you have Jacob deGrom, you know, the best pitcher on the planet, you know, by all, Accounts he'll be back in the mix soon. Uh, Taiwan Walker's been terrific outside of Sunday. Stroman's been terrific. David Peterson, again, we saw him on Friday. He's been outstanding. The bullpen's been standing up. Like, these are all the talking points we've kind of been going on about over the last few weeks. And, you know, it seems as soon as the Mets really get a little momentum behind them, um, you know, uh, avalanches kind of, you know, they start with a uh, just a crumble and then everything kind of falls apart. And, you know, you got to hope that all the moves the Mets made this winter to avoid situations like this where, you know, 
a string of injuries just completely wipe out any hope of this team making a push and you have to kind of string it all together in the second half, you know, ideally you'd like to get through these gaps without missing a beat. And that's, you know, it's a tall task considering some of the talent that they've lost, but, um, you know, desperate times, desperate measures, that whole thing. You have to wonder if they do go out and, and at least explore the market. Um, you know, you could talk about Chris Bryant, who's having a very nice start for the Cubs. Um, I want to say he just dealt with a little injury thing, but uh, he's been absolutely on fire. He's a free agent after the year. If you have to pay extra for him, he could play court, uh, he could play third base. He could play the corner outfield. You know, um, that certainly turns the uh, turns the the tides back in your favor. Or at least you know levels the scale out if you're missing a Conforto for a while. But we're probably getting ahead of ourselves. Let's see how the uh, how the reports come back on McNeil and Conforto. Let's see how uh, Brandon Nimmo and J.D. Davis settle back into their roles once they're healthy, hopefully sooner rather than later. And, uh, yeah, hope for the best. They got a big week coming up. The Mets head to Atlanta for a three-game series starting on Monday. You get no off days. Uh, <laughs> Taiwan Walker gets the ball on Monday. Uh, Jordan Yamamoto, he's been mentioned as a candidate to start Tuesday. Uh, Thomas Sapucky, right-hander, he's also entered that conversation. We shall see. I imagine you know, he'll be getting a nod at some point sooner rather than later if there's uh, still gaps in the, uh, in the rotation. But Wednesday, David Peterson will go again. It's, um, again, it's a big, big week. It's certainly not make or break, but... A strong showing would certainly get this group back on track and, uh, you know, back on that good foot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, goodness knows they need it. Um, and I think that's all we got, guys. We're going to be back on Friday with a new episode. We're rapidly approaching our 100th episode, so we're still working out something special for that. But uh, in the meantime, you know where to find us. Keep it locked. Uh, let's fucking go Mets. Hopefully they turn it around. Peace. Let's go!